Well, hello, friends. You're in lockdown, but you're also in the foyer. The foyer is a nice, cozy, welcoming, gonna say it, ready for it, inclusive space. Uh, and the foyer today is pretty exciting because we've got Paul Dempsey in the house. A lot of people have been messaging me. I hear you talking to Paul Dempsey. People I haven't spoken to since university, which I finished last week. Anyways, uh, today we talk about Kate, who's trying to get out of a record deal. Paul Dempsey weighs in on his experience with Murmur. Pretty amazing times in the 90s and somehow have the longevity to still be relevant and making incredible music today. We talk about that incredible own goal, the dunderheaded tweet by Triple J. Guys, really? Uh, and we also get into Paul Dempsey's career, super in-depth. You know, Nick Cave was making him a cup of tea, age 19. It's a real dogfight for Paul. I don't know how he <laughs> has come through it all. Uh, yeah, we talk all about something for Kate. And um, you're a fan of something for Kate. That's why you're listening. Or you're a fan of Marcus Teague. I'm a fan of Marcus Teague. He asks much better questions than I do. Strap in, because we're about to enter the episode of Hit Different. Hey, thank you. Mwah. Welcome to Hit Different, my friends. Right in your ears, your weekly music culture podcast with me, Mikey Carl, Marcus Teague. Say something, Marcus. Hi, Mikey. Hi, Paul. And Paul. Who's this Paul character? It's Paul Dempsey. Hi, Paul. Hi, Mikey. Hi, Marcus. This is good. We're all getting high. It's time to cut to some music. Coming up in this episode, we'll tell you in a second, okay, hold your fucking horses. Coming up in this episode, all kinds of things. First, though, Paul Dempsey getting through Lockie D 6.0 with two children, Miller and Lake, and lovely wife, Stephanie. How is it all going in 30 seconds or less? Uh, it's all going fine, you know, all things considered. Uh, we've got more to be grateful for than we do to whine about. And uh, so, we, you know, we focus on that and we enjoy each other's company, luckily. Uh, we, we all get along well, so uh, it's good. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a mixed bag of uh, homeschooling and parental responsibilities and then, uh, you know, trying to be productive and do some writing and make some music and, yeah, just. You also have a home studio with a lock on it, true? Uh, it, well, it doesn't have a lock on it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, one of the kids is very keen on coming in and playing the drums, so, uh but, you know, that's all encouraged, whatever you got to do to get through. That's right. Like, actually, Paul's actually got um, quite a few guitars behind him. One's wedged in, into the door, so it's not letting anybody get in, in, the, uh, in the room. <laughs> First joke that actually happened to me once. I was, I was interviewing Noel Gallagher, and um, I, was, I was really nervous about it because, you know, he's like a tough interview and all that sort of stuff. Well, not tough interview, but, you know, doesn't um, take any prisoners and had to have a guitar literally sideways like in medieval films when they put like a log on the yes. other side of the yeah. of the door to stop it as like a kid is banging on it i didn't have the heart to actually tell noel that one of my kids was trying to break one of my guitars but sometimes you got to do what you got to do ah uh, the modern medieval very good reference there thanks marcus great work <laughs> i don't know why i'm in a um I'm in a weird mood today. On today's show, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, however you identify, we're going to be talking about neo-soul future R&B star Kate, who has made the bold move of appealing to her fan base for money via a GoFundMe. Going to get to the bottom of that. Uh, Marcus is going to talk us through Triple J's divisive tweet, which is a very funny kind of completely, you know, ephemeral, um, almost futile sentence in itself. <laughs> however... It's, it's sort of, yeah, it's touched a nerve with people. And then in the third segment, we're getting into Paul Dempsey's career, a bit of a deep dive into, ah, uh, yeah, everything. Because Paul Dempsey was the first person I ever interviewed as a young journalist for Buzz Magazine out in Frankston over 20 years ago. And here we are, all of us with two kids each and our whole lives ahead <laughs> of us. <laughs> so let's get into it. Friends, neo-soul future R&B star K8 has made the quite bold move of appealing to her fan base for money via a GoFundMe, basically to get out of her record contract with Alt.Music. This has been a big talking point this week, and it's certainly something that um, has raised some questions, has, has been an amazing thing to see how much people can rally around an artist without that artist actually offering any treats, actually offering any... Uh, 
music, you know, per se, and it sort of rewards for getting behind it and donating music. One person has donated $20,000 just straight off the bat. Someone called Hot Bitch. Could be Tones and I, could be Tasha Tana. Both of them have got behind a K8 on the, the comments in her Instagram. Some of the statement I'll read out. She says, to my family around the world, this is in the video, to my family around the world, I need to announce a fundraiser, which carries a lot of significance for me as an artist. I need to raise these funds in order to be able to recover my independence. So we're trying to work out what the behind the scenes story is. I've asked Kay, she hasn't responded by Instagram, totally fine. Um, I've also asked uh, everybody's funky daddy, that's Chris Gill from Northside Records. He says, seems there's a bit happening that she hasn't made public yet, but I think she will soon. Until then, you might have to wait. But it's no secret the Musos need that funky cash. And he does a lot of the uh, the cash symbols throughout that. True that. Marcus, firstly, I'll ask you, what's your take on all of this and the way this has been received? Because it's been received incredibly well. When people really getting around K8 in a way perhaps we haven't seen before where an artist is basically saying, I need money. Can you guys help? And people have just said, yes, we can. I mean, I, obviously, the interesting thing is that artists around the world are trying to figure out how to keep their careers mm-hmm. going at the moment and make money in lieu of touring in a kind of industry that is already sort of like not really paid a whole lot for streaming mm. services and that sort of stuff. I guess what's different here is that most times when artists ask for support, they, you know, it's like, we're going to do a limited run of seven inches or you can get your name in the credits of the record and all that sort of stuff. And it's interesting when an artist goes, look, I just can't do this uh, without help. And if you've got some money that you can sling my way, then please do. And which is quite sort of bold, mm-hmm. I suppose. And it's interesting because I, it's rare that artists are able to seed funding simply for wanting to be an mm-hmm. artist. You know, there's usually, there's usually a give and take. But it's it's interestingly, it's kind of shown that sometimes there are people willing to put forward over the cash just just to just to support someone to essentially follow their dreams or or continue on their career and so i don't i don't know whether that's like a bit of a old mentality to think that you have to offer something for that support or whether in this day and age it's enough to go hey i need some help can uh can anyone Mm. help me out and she's raised Race, last time I looked, I think it was about 60 grand. Yep, just under. Obviously, there's people out there that are, are willing to do that. I mean, you know, that's some people's salaries for a year. Mm-hmm. So, if she gets to make music for another year, then because of that or, or beyond, then good on her. But yeah, it's just I've not seen someone do it without kind of offering essentially their own services in return. Mm. It was my Herald Sun salary for many, many years. Um, that's why I had to get a lot of perks on the site. <laughs> True story. Tw- 12 years at it. Got one three grand pay rise in 12 years. Um, that's okay. Keep going. <laughs> Paul, obviously you guys have just launched your Patreon. Knowing how much work you've got behind the scenes, whether it's B-sides, like you've, you've always been one of those bands that has a lot kind of, whether it's songs that didn't make the record or B-sides or fan favorites that got played live that never, you know, got into the recording studio or whatever like i can i imagine you'd be sitting on a lot of stuff does that form the basis of the patreon or or why now do you guys feel like that you know now's the time is it because of what's happening all around us is that an obvious answer it's a couple of things actually i mean yeah that's certainly a part of it but we were already looking for a way to share this ridiculous mountain of of stuff that we're sitting on we've got more than 25 years worth of live recordings, rehearsal room recordings, video stuff, audio and visual stuff that we had been wanting to find a way to share with people. A lot of this was sort of began with uh, last year. During the first lockdown, I took the opportunity to, uh, you know, go through and digitize these hours and hours and hours of videotapes from tours and stuff. So, and I ended I ended up editing like a music video out of out of some of it. Um, there, you know, there was nothing to do but kind of sit around and just finally do all those jobs you'd been putting off. And one of them was you know digitizing all this content and archiving all this stuff. And I just that was the first time I kind of went, "Holy shit, there's so much <laughs> stuff." And that's when we started thinking about, well, you know, we should share some of this with people. Um, and there's just a million different ways to do that. 
And then this year, of course, is the 20th anniversary of of our third album, Echolalia. So again, you have all those other conversations about, oh, well, we need an anniversary edition and we need bonus content and we need all this stuff. So I just feel like, you know, for the last few months, we've just been in a world of all this stuff that we're sitting on and haven't known what to do with. So really, we just kind of went, well, that seems like a pretty good way to share it with people, but it's also a way that assigns some value to it because you could give it all away on social media, but it's, you know, it's all actually too much. There's, there's just too much of it. Uh, and, you know, I don't know, we liked the idea of building a little community around it as well mm-hmm. that basically, as you mentioned already, it's it's not like a tiered thing. We're not, we're not trying to create like... Uh, tiered memberships or vip it's the only tier it's ten dollars a month that's it yeah exactly and that just gives you access uh to just a whole lot of this stuff that we will be slowly sort of uh filtering out as we go through it and assess you know what's worth sharing this week or whatever uh we'll put it up there but as i say it it assigns a value to it and i think that's what this whole discussion is really about is you know what what value do we assign to art? Because, you know, music streaming services don't assign much of a value to it and no one's going to do it for us. You know, like the, the history of the music industry is that everyone else is really terrible at deciding what the artist deserves and artists don't often stand up for themselves and actually say, you know what, I put all of my blood, sweat and tears and resources and into this because it's my life and it's and it's what I want to share with people. So ultimately, I think it's artists who have to be the ones to put their foot down at some point and draw a line and say, you know what, I'm not going to keep playing for free on social media just because we're in lockdown or I'm not going to you know, keep being told that I, I should feel lucky that someone wants to you know, put my music in there to advertise their product or something. I should be happy to do it for nothing. Um, you know it's just yeah yeah exactly it's just all bullshit and Mm. you know i just think uh if one one side effect pardon the pun of uh of this pandemic is artists have have been forced to really kind of assess you know what what is the value that they're going to put on what they do and where are they going to draw a line you know so yeah it's you know we and it's it's a balancing act as well you know because you don't want to you don't want to be so hard-nosed that but, you know, social media is there, I think, for for all this nice sharing and letting people know what you're up to and stuff like that. But, you know, if you're actually giving people music and, you know, live clips or whatever, then I don't know, should you just give it away? I don't think so. No. I was going to say, I think it's very something for Kate to have such an egalitarian approach by having the only tier and everyone's on the, on the same, you know, sort of level pegging. I think that's one of the reasons people have stuck by you for 25 years is because they all feel like something for Kate is their band. Between me and my mum, my mum was Kathleen, my dad calls her Kate, and she knew this sort of, you know, something for Kate, like from day dot with way back Captain Million Miles an Hour, Dean Martin era, that's when she and I would listen to you at, at home out in Berwick. And so it, feel, it still feels like, you know, you're still <laughs> holding hands. No, <laughs> but just, you know, <laughs> just got that nice sort of that deep connection with this band, which I think is, is pretty extraordinary. With Patreon, I spoke to Cy J. Gould, who's Hiatus Coyote's manager, and they started as well. And they started hoping basically between one to 5% of your fans will get behind you with Patreon. That's the kind of the aim. Have you been, you know, did you guys have sort of expectations? Do you have spreadsheets drawn up about how much you're sort of aiming for? <laughs> or is it much less sort of calculated, much more like let's let's give something and, you know, and see what people think? Yeah, no, it wasn't. Uh, we, we haven't done any, uh, you know, any sums on it or anything. <laughs> it, as I say, but the main thing was like, you know, it, it just seemed like a really easy uh, forum to just get a lot of this stuff out to people mm-hmm. but you know also in a way that gives us a, a bit of a return on yeah. on what we're sharing and and the years that we've spent creating it oh. it's you know it's early days so i don't i couldn't even tell you mm-hmm. what the return is at the moment other than <laughs> you know you know nice um you know people have been excited by the stuff that we've shared so far so that's good just for our listeners the other thing that paul paul's actually sitting on a giant bed of money and it's all greenbacks, so just as long as people know that, I just want that transparency. Um. Well, it's also, it's, it's, it's fun to kind of like revisit stuff and figure out the context in, you know, looking back and some of the stuff you thought was shit at the time ends up being pretty valuable or you can see a through line between 
then and now like in in a way it's kind of fun to that to do that and then see it to its natural conclusion which is figure out what you know hear what other people think about it as well yeah that's right um you know one of the things we've shared already was like a rehearsal room version of of a song off uh echolalia that you know the song ended up changing quite a bit and i think it's you know some people have been really you know they've just found it interesting to hear how that song evolved and it, you know you, it's i don't know i can't really think of any other way to do that this mm-hmm. I, I think by the, the, the patreon thing i kind of like as well because you know if you're willing to pay the the membership yeah. uh, you've already flagged your own level of interest so you know that mm-hmm. you're like if, if we just put this shit up on spotify or something mm. it's presuming a lot <laughs> about <laughs> about what people want to hear mm. it's presuming a lot that people want to hear your rehearsal room recordings but the patreon thing is like well you know we figured that because you've you know paid the ten bucks or whatever that you are going to be interested in a, a deeper cut. Mm-hmm. What was the little moment, Paul, along the way of digitizing last year where you went, "Fuck, this is good." Lots of um, I don't know. There's a lot of fun stuff in there from touring Europe and touring the states and uh, and just you know a lot of stuff that just you know falls from your memory. Mm-hmm. So it was just it was just a trip down memory lane and and I didn't I didn't get too beat up down there so. <laughs> That's a good line. To swing it back to K8, this is all going to sort of play out in in the next week or so, it seems. Uh, her partner, Adrian Eagle, is actually signed to Alt.Music. And Alt.Music is kind of the elephant in the room here because she hasn't mentioned it at all. Obviously, she's probably had some advice around it. Also, that's curious thing about this is um, Tones and I, Tash Lutana, and a few other artists have said, good on you for doing this, you know, for finally doing this. So, so there's been a lot of talk behind the scenes, I think, of how do I get out of this thing? Obviously, something's turned pear-shaped with her and the label. I was going to talk a bit, bit later about Murmur, et cetera, but do you have any moments that jump to mind, Paul, of, of you having to st- stand up for yourself in a record label situation? I'm sure outside looking in, it looks like you guys have kind of had a dream run with record labels. I'm sure that's not the case. Um, oh, no, look, I think we've actually been really fortunate. Um, we, we had an amazing time uh, on Murmur. We had a five-album deal and we made five albums and you know, it seems like a fairly rare thing even just to get all the way through a, mm. a major label record contract, but uh, we did and, and we, you know, we enjoyed our whole time there. You know, there's always, you know, there was, there was obviously a couple of points where you have an intense uh, creative disagreement about something, but mm-hmm. we never we we never capitulated on anything and we were never, you know, it never got... Uh, Nothing was ever so tense that, you know, we needed to capitulate on anything. There was one time where there was a disagreement about a mix for a single mm-hmm. and there was a suggestion that, you know, some hotshot American guy should remix it. But we, you know, we kind of made the alternative suggestion that they first give us a chance to remix our own song, mm-hmm. which we did and they were happy. So What was the song? Uh, it was Monsters. Uh, it was the first single off Echolalia. Um, Great song. But that was just a situation that we figured out a way to navigate mm-hmm. and still get our way, but still make you know the people who had questions over the the sound of the mix, they were happy as well because you know we well look we really didn't do that much to it, but <laughs> but but uh, everyone you know everyone walked away from the situation satisfied, and yeah. that to me is a win. It's in my head right to, now, actually, which is cool. That just the chorus and the power of that song. So it's you know it's it's lasted a long time. To line it up with the K8 situation, were there discussions through that relationship about assigning value to things in terms of like the one that comes to mind is how a lot of labels are like, listen, if we make it five bucks this week, the week that it comes out, then it's going to go to number one, and like that's how we'll hit the charts and all that kind of stuff. And I, I know that like a lot of bands are like, we spent so much money making this or, you know, so much and, our, and so much of our lives that we're not going to give it away for, I don't know, like to get the charts in this week or whatever. Were there any discussions through that career about literally assigning value to what you do? Well, I guess the first such discussion is, you know, in, in the letters of the contract that you sign that's the first time you assign value to something because that's when you agree to what you're presumably going to be happy with throughout the term of the contract that's kind of the first step and once you've done that then yeah there's sometimes there was the odd discussion about you know the 
the cost of a CD or you know or whatever you know dropping for a certain period. I just didn't care too much as long as we were out on tour. And for us, the only serious measure of anything for us is just shows and playing live in front of people. And as long as we felt like you know the shows were going great and the crowds were building and the energy at the shows i mean that's always been why we do it it's a bit like the discussion around singles and choosing singles and Mm. things like that you know we we make music we write songs we make an album and then you know there's people who get paid to know which one of those songs Mm. is supposedly going to work on the radio which i frankly know nothing about and couldn't (laughs) give a shit about and that's why i don't do that job (laughs) you know they're just discussions that i've always kind of gone you know what that's your job. Mm-hmm. I've, I, I'll do my job and you do your job. And, you know, sometimes we've had singles on the radio and sometimes we haven't. Mm-hmm. And But I don't, I, again, I don't say that that person didn't do their job properly. It's just things, you know, music taste, the whole thing. It's all so fickle and changing. And so, again, it's, it's, just, it's just another reason why you wouldn't get uptight about it. <laughs> Yeah, and if you if you make tickets forty nine dollars and your shows sell out, then you don't need to think about it. It's well, like, okay, yeah. th- well, that's how much tickets are for our shows. Exactly, and on that subject as well, though, I th- you know we've always kept our ticket prices comparatively low. You know, to the sorts of venues that we play, and to the other acts who are playing those same venues, I feel safe saying that our ticket prices were consistently lower. Uh, than what other people would have been charging. But that's also us sort of trying to maintain some goodwill with with an audience and mm. not take the piss. And and it also gives you, you maintain some level of control over how you do things with that as well. It's like you're not putting so much pressure on yourself that you have to have all of the bells and all of the whistles and you have to, if you're not charging for las vegas <laughs> then you can go on stage and be melbourne <laughs> yeah. if people aren't asking where, where the pyramid is the yeah the, the daft punk helmets and the dancing bears exactly <laughs> yeah to your point too the way you respect audiences over the years paul i love the fact I remember seeing this at the corner hotel a few years ago where you went all right we're gonna do an encore we're not gonna go off stage we're gonna start the encore right now you know what I mean? There's, there's no sort of artifice of about waiting, making people wait like Prince or something. Yeah, I mean, we don't always do that. Like, you know, sometimes we go off and do the encore thing mm-hmm. because, you know, someone needs a drink or whatever. But, um, you know, yeah, but my feeling is like, especially if the show is on like a Wednesday night, <laughs> it's like, well, you've all got to get up in the morning. So, you know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to make you lose another half hour sleep. Yeah, and you probably do too to do some homeschooling for a grade four, which is <laughs> not ideal. Friends, you can find Hit Different on Facebook and hunt down myself, Marcus, and Sos Fia Molly on socials. Little shout out to uh, Sos, our uh, weekly, bi-weekly co-host. She was nominated in the Women in Music Awards for Best Journalist. Good job, Sos the Boss. Coming up in a second, OK Zuma, a divisive Triple J tweet. Marcus is going to take us through it. Friends, Marcus Teague is in the house and he is going to tell us a little bit about a divisive tweet Triple J put out, hashtag OKZoomer, Marcus. I love love divisive tweets, one of my favourite things. (laughs) So late on Tuesday, Triple J posted a tweet that made some waves. Following the meme format, did it hurt, brackets, mentioned something kind of true, or did it hurt when you fell from heaven? Triple J tweeted, did it hurt when you aged out of the youth radio station? It was aimed at listeners, many of whom predictably replied, yes, Triple J sucks now. But it also struck a chord with some industry folk and artists who used it to voice the elephant in the room, which is that Triple J discards many artists they would otherwise support simply based on age. So some of the responses, for example, were uh, such as Ainsley Wills, who said, as a female artist who stopped getting played on rotation when I hit my 30s, I finally feel seen. Um, Jack Cowell said thanks Triple J that maybe your sound would be better suited to Double J email was so great at 25 played once on the main station since then and then Kelly from Camp Cope said I'm too burnt out to get into it at length but gotta say the music industry ages out women as fast as possible 
but gives legendary status and long-lasting careers to the men. Mm. I'll throw a quick Jeremy, Jeremy Furs, the Teskey Brothers manager. He said, did it hurt when Teskey Brothers won the Aria for best group without you playing their music? Triple J. This whole thing is everyone's had it, got a bit of a chip on their shoulder at the moment, whether it's a tiny Sandboy, Salt and Vinegar, or a monolithic 2001 Space Odyssey uh, sort of size chip. And that's why it's, you know, hit a nerve. Sorry, Marcus. Well, it's also, I mean, there's pros and cons. Pro, having a radio station for young people that also happens to launch several long careers is a good thing. Con, thinly veiled artist discrimination. Um, the artist, yours, Georgina, who um, is a Melbourne artist, wrote, to put it in sort of current context, I'll have lost two of my most marketable years, quotation marks, as a female artist by the time this pandemic is over. This, is, this has already been playing on my mind a lot. It really sucks that you confirm those fears are well-founded. It's such an own goal, isn't it, in my mind? You know what I mean? It kind of is. You can you can see the intention behind it was not to flip the table and and have it be a discussion about Triple J so much. Um, you know, it is a station that's set up to for young people, and that's a great thing. Mm. But I suppose what it yeah the elephant in the room that it kind of shows is that some people do get cut off purely on age and that tends to be tends to discriminate particularly female artists mm. or fringe artists who don't have a machine around them to sustain them beyond that that initial kind of burst that triple j often gives mm. and obviously at the moment because everyone's stuck at home looking at twitter and doom scrolling <laughs> yeah it's the, it's the perfect time to discuss this yeah Paul, you've had a very good experience with with uh, with Sumpificate and with Triple J, I would say. And I'm certainly not here to dump on Triple J too hard. It's very easy to do that and sort of to punch down. I listen to Triple J mix up every Saturday night. I still listen to lots of different shows. I always dip my toe in to see what's going on. And I always vote every single year in the Hottest 100, which means you're allowed to bitch about it. If you don't vote, you can't bitch about it. Simple. But yeah, sort of tell us your take on this whole thing. Oh, uh, Honestly, I don't really have one. I, I don't – I just don't have the energy to be annoyed with a radio station yes. because I wasn't thinking about radio stations when I started a band and I've sort of maintained that headspace of not worrying about radio stations the whole time I've been in a band. We've been really lucky. We've had support from Triple J and from lots of other areas as well and, you know, it's waxed and waned from all those different areas as, like I said before, as musical tastes and and trends change and i just don't i've just never worried about it so much um but that's just me i absolutely think that completely aside from like it, it, this shouldn't be a discussion probably about triple j as much as it it should be a much more worthy discussion about yeah women's experience in and, and ageism as greater well. music industry as a whole yeah um and it shouldn't be about one radio station because that ageism exists everywhere you know um in venues uh you know from all from all corners of the music industry um and yeah I, I have um friends who are you know female musicians who yeah they they they, they yeah they feel this pressure because they're losing time during this pandemic and like i'm annoyed that i'm losing time but i don't think it you know it doesn't uh I'm not feeling what they're feeling in terms of yeah being marketable and stuff like that, and that's just a deep, deep, uh, what's the word? Um, it's just a, it's just not fair. Yeah, straight <laughs> so, up. So you know that's that's the um, that's the worthwhile discussion, mm. I think. Mm. Uh, and look, I agree with Marcus as well that Triple J has a mandate. You know, mm. they they're supposed to appeal to a certain age group, mm -hmm. uh, and if they believe that they're doing that with what they play then that's kind of their charter i guess mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they're not the only radio station in australia and but you know they are the most talked about even the, the more we talk about one radio station the more i just go why am i talking about radio stations <laughs> it's just the really it's it's about it's much bigger you know it, well it's you know the the issue of of women's experience in the music industry that is worthy of discussion you know, let's not beat around the bush. Like Triple J is incredibly powerful for for young bands uh, and young artists. Everyone knows that, and I suppose part of what it is is that you know your late teens and early twenties is kind of when you are arguably most 
involved and feel most powerfully about the about being a part of a scene and scenes in general and what's important and we all know that music at that age can be life-changing and literally set you on the path to who you are so you feel like you have a, a lot of ownership over that whether it's the scenes that you're part of or the station you listen to and whatnot and we all know that and encourage that so i think it can be confronting for some people when they do kind of age out of that moment to go hang on like that was a scene that i i helped build because i had ownership over that period of my life and it's confronting to be told that there's another generation coming behind you that you need to move on sort of thing like i i, I get that unfortunately in australia there's just not you know we're it's a pretty small industry all things considered and so it's just not set up to support that those people really very well kind of beyond triple j are you Especially talking about if, artists now or listeners? Well, kind of both. I guess it's almost like I a mean, generational just, thing. Listeners just make their own decision though, right? They just, like, they, yeah. they, they, they can't age themselves out. They either decide to stop listening because it doesn't appeal to them anymore. Like, they're not forcibly removed. <laughs> no, no, no. But the people I'm thinking of, uh, every time, you know, the Hottest 100 is announced, they jump on social media and they're like, what the hell is this? This is shit. Triple J was better back in my day. All that sort of stuff. And like, no. forgetting that, yes, they don't actually have to listen to it. And that yeah. perhaps there's perhaps there's other options. Community radio, for example, or or Double J, or whatever it is, you yeah. know, go and make your own playlist. There, there's your own radio station. I get what you're saying, though. People are passionate about the connections that they used to have to things, but and I mean, just the fact of the matter is, I think that there's there's just not sort of like an industry for to to support beyond Triple J, and that can be confronting for both artists and listeners at some point. Um, so. What is, what is the answer to that? Does there need to be one? Is it just a, a, a fact that Australia isn't that big and you can't play that many shows, you know? You can't, you can't go on tour for four months like you can in the States or whatever. Or do we have a responsibility to figure it out and support particularly female and fringe artists or artists that don't have a machine behind them to continue on their way? It's, it sort of all comes, for me personally... It comes back to what I was saying before about just um, I started a band to play live, to play music in front of people and nothing's ever stopped me from being able to do that. No amount of, I don't know, like if if you can still do that whether you're on the radio or not. We were building, you know, a really great fan base, uh, building a great audience before we ever got played triple on Triple J just by playing our backsides off and... Obviously, getting played on Triple J certainly, you know, doesn't hurt anything. But it's not the only road. There are, there's nothing stopping you from going out and playing music if if that's what you want to do. I don't know. Maybe it's harder if you're sort of more of like a bedroom musician who doesn't do the live thing so much. But I don't know. I I just I have to just admit my ignorance on that because I'm just a, you know, I'm just a live musician. I I just love. And He's that's, a road that's, that's how our band is. Well, we just love playing music together, you know, on a stage with a room full of people. That energy is, that is and always has just been the draw card for me. Again, you know, I just think all of this is uh, less important than that broader conversation about female artists and also, you know, and just, you know, older artists or not even older, just, you know, artists over the age of 30 or whatever. Where is the sort of... Uh, you know, I don't know how do they get their stuff out there. I mean, there are, you know, there is Double J, there is public radio, you know, but there is also, you know, there's the internet, there's social media, there's, um, I don't know. I, I honestly, I just don't spend that much time thinking about this stuff. Mm. <laughs> a lot of it's lightning in a bottle moment. If you if you have a song that blows up on TikTok, or you know, you ha you have a moment where someone loves your song so much i mean lord a few years ago i uh, put a laura jean song up and she said this is the the most powerful song i've i've heard and the most sort of pertinent song about female relationships and yep. you know she put that out to her people and then all of a sudden you know everyone everyone got around her so yeah there's a lot of luck involved probably more luck than more luck involved now than i think there has ever been to go to that yep. you know nuclear level where everything's gangbusters and all of a sudden everyone's talking about you I don't, I, yeah, I, I just don't know why anyone would, uh, you know, deprive themselves or, or anybody else of fantastic music and, and great artists and, you know, 
people don't stop being great artists at any particular age. So, yeah, I don't know that. I mean, it, it, I don't know how we deal with that because it's it's bigger than just music. It's you know, yeah. it's it's across society that you know people film um, start to sort of get marginalised at a certain point or just less seen or whatever. Um, it's just a discussion that needs to continue. Um, but you know, we I guess one immediate power that I feel like I do have is just yeah like social media um you know if i hear something and i think it's fantastic then i know that i can just tell a lot of people about it at the you know with a few clicks so that feels good paul maybe you would have a a thought on this being a globally um traveled musician but i often wonder if it's a it's obviously a global issue but particularly australian i feel like that perhaps Australia is very bad. Maybe it's the tall poppy thing. Maybe it's because the industry isn't that big at celebrating the the mythologizing of artists that goes on, especially in the US and the UK, where as artists age, they're kind of given the credibility of their experience, whether it's Bob Dylan or, you know, PJ Harvey or something like that, where it's like, and it happens a lot in the in uh, with DJs, Mikey. You would know that like you're almost seen as a walking encyclopedia by the time you get to a certain age. It's actually a good thing that you're an older DJ. Yeah. And I I feel like we're a little bit stunted in that regard in that, in our way of thinking of artists in Australia. Grow up and get a real job, get to a certain age, and you know there's always the people at at Christmas that are like, you know, when are you gonna? When are you going to go back to uni or when are you going to get your job or whatever it is? Yeah. That's just that's just not the thought that we have of our revering our artists except for a very chosen few that kind of get to go on. And I often wonder if that's a particularly Australian concern. Well, I you know, I have no answers, but I do think that um, – look, I think that everybody's thinking about everything in general is stunted by – the internet, social media, mm. handheld devices, everyone has a television in their pocket uh, that they can't tear their eyes away from and they're seeing a thousand different things a day and they're communicating with people they don't even know and all this connection you know, just amounts to a whole lot of disconnection and not really absorbing anything very much anymore mm. as, we, as much as we used to. Mm. So I think that is kind of the first issue is that the internet as wonderful as it is, it's also just scrambled everything. Yes. Nothing gets any due attention. Nothing really gets its focus as much as perhaps it used to where, you know, someone's career was long because the the focus on them was sustained mm. for a long time and it came at you through outlets that you knew and trusted that you didn't even know you considered reliable. Uh, they were just always there. So it meant something. And it just doesn't anymore. And it's not the fault of, I don't know, people or musicians. It's not that the, you know, there's a lot of talk that the artists don't exist anymore or that the quality isn't the same or the, you know, whatever. It's, it's just not fucking true. There's uh, amazing people making brilliant music every day, but try getting through the scramble. You know, it's just nothing gets through anything. Everyone's attention spans are just so shot that the only reason you might not have another Bob Dylan or whatever, it's not because there isn't one. It's because there's no sustained um, sort of awareness of it from a regular source that you unknowingly rely on and trust. It's just everything's a scramble for your attention and so I don't think it's a particularly Australian case other than the fact that we have we are a smaller sample group of that. So if you you know if you look at the states 330 million people that's still the case but there's enough people who still possess some sort of attention span that that respect and that reverence you talk about exists to some degree. It exists here to some degree it's just a lot smaller. Yeah, and we've got day on the green spring loaded there are enough festivals. Uh, there, are, there are, you know, a number of festivals that do celebrate nostalgia, but not just nostalgia. You know, they celebrate artists, you know, who were big, say, in the '90s and even the '80s, doing new stuff as well as old stuff. 
Um, I really like your mm. point, Paul, just a second ago. I know you've read Infinite Jest several times by David Foster Wallace, and he really knew what he was on about when he predicted that we'd have this thing that we couldn't take our eyes off, you know, one yep. day. So, yeah, rest in peace, yep. David Foster Wallace. This is All of this is making me just want to see something for Kate and many, many, many other bands live on stage and just feel that for the next hour and a half, I've got nothing else to do except focused all of my energy on this person who is giving their all. And that's, yeah, that's the power of, of, of seeing something live and that energy exchange. And I think that's one of the few things as well that does still cut through the scramble uh, because it's kind of considered rude, you know, to pull out your phone at a show or whatever. It's It really is. It's one thing because it doesn't happen at sporting events. You know, people will sit there at the footy and they don't care if they decide to look at their Instagram for the whole quarter of the game or whatever. Mm. You know, music events, theatre events, you know, live performance events, whether it's comedy or music or theatre or whatever, it's still the idea is that, you know, you paid for your your ticket and, and you should be sort of focusing to some degree and, you know, giving sustained attention Mm -hmm. to something Mm -hmm. for an hour or two. It's just becoming rarer and rarer and fortunately I feel that live music is still one of those things. Mm. You know, live music has always been an important thing but, God, it's potentially even more important these days because it's almost a refuge from having to look at a 100 different things in an hour. Mm. What what you'll need to do, Paul, is like for the next for your next show is just come out with each song with a large QR code on a on a on a, <laughs> on a big piece of cardboard and, and people can just scan it and what like choose their favorite version of that song and you'll <laughs> yeah. never you won't even need to plug in. Well, they'll be doing that anyway to prove their vaccination status. So. <laughs> very 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 good. I've got a meme. I've currently put it on my socials and it's someone's done a QR code tattoo on their leg and as soon as you do it, your phone, YouTube, Rick Roll. It goes into never, <laughs> never going to give you up. <laughs> so, so Amazing. good. Paul is laughing. Marcus is shaking his head. I know I'm on a, I'm on a good thing there. That's right. I've got two straight <laughs> men with me today. Uh, coming up in a second, Paul Dempsey's career in full. Friends, uh, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter. Just suggest things we should be covering on this show. We are very open to all your suggestions and our hearts are open. And honestly, wherever you're listening to this show in the world right now, we've absolutely got your back. We are with you. It's a shitty, 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 shitty time, but you're listening to my voice in your ears, Paul's, Marcus's, you got your friends around you. Yeah. Keep looking after each other because, um, you know, that's all we've got is community. That's all we got time. Okay. Segment three, Paul motherfucking Dempsey. First person I ever interviewed, uh, I battled against him on Rock Quiz years later. I don't I don't remember who won, Paul. I saw you at a pushover gig in 1997, actually, the first time I really got the band. And midway through the set, a lot of people were sort of, you know, the smell of guns are in the air, dusty boots, blunt stones. And you said, if you all move, you probably enjoy this a bit more. And it made everybody in the next song, I think it was Dean Martin, wrong answer, like the next song came on and people started moving and moshing and it just instantly changed the whole complexion of the day. And I thought, how... You just did this in a very kind of like, you know, it was an ego-free, selfless way of, of just bringing everybody with you. So I guess the first question I'll ask, uh, um, when was the first time, when were the first times on stage where you really felt this kind of selfless power slash this real sort of generosity that you could you could bring to an audience by doing something that you loved? Actually, probably when I realized that, like you were talking about a time that I, you know, told a crowd to get moving uh, <laughs> possibly because they're you know them standing still was making me feel uh, like they weren't enjoying themselves or whatever mm-hmm. we should preface this with the fact that the late 90s were not a great time for anyone to be moving in a crowd it's not not a time no. when uh, self-expression was all that public yeah <laughs> um, but I, I think at, the, at a certain point I realized that the people in, in our audience were standing really dead still for actually a really good reason. And that it was because they, you know, they they weren't moving. I mean, a because our music is probably, you know, really difficult to move to. <laughs> there's not there's not really a straight time signature very often. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I noticed at a certain point that the reason they were standing so still is because they were actually just really, really transfixed. Um, once again, paying sustained attention to something, <laughs> and that they that they were, you know, enjoying it to that degree that 
they were just dead still, eyes on the stage, mouthing the words. And so I stopped feeling uh, worried about that. I stopped feeling worried that they were bored and I, and I started feeling, uh, you know, grateful that they were that engaged. And, you know, we kind of have a running joke now that, you know, something for Kate attracts theatre crowds <laughs> because that's what the, it's. They're like a theatre crowd. They just, they're super still, super quiet. You know, they clap at the end of each song and then they go dead silent, just sort of waiting for what the next thing's going to be. Yeah. And, you know, I it took me a long time to realise it, but I eventually did realise that that's actually a really, really cool thing that, mm. that we should be very grateful for. Um. You almost as well, to your point about theatre crowd, is I remember seeing at the Toff in town and I was like, Dempsey's become a comedian. When did this happen? Because you always had a bit <laughs> of comedy, but between the between song banter was so charismatic and effortless. Something sort of seemed to, to, to change, maybe sort of early 2000s. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I think it was probably when I started doing more solo acoustic things. I always found it really hard to talk between songs on stage with the band because you feel like you're uh, you feel like you have band members who are you know impatiently waiting for you to shut up so <laughs> you can start the next song so you know you, you, it's not like you want to stand there and just begin you know telling a long story but but solo shows are different it's just you up there and you can take all the time you want to introduce the next song because you're not bothering anyone else so I don't know it might have been that but but one thing I that definitely made a difference was uh, living in New York for a couple of years uh, from 2010 to 2012. During that time, I played so many solo acoustic shows in so many places. And, you know, a majority of the time, most of the audience were totally new to me because I'd be, you know, opening for someone else or, or you know, just playing to a totally new crowd. Um, and you really have to work to... You know, I was I was literally back at square one where it's like, you know, you, you're not playing to fans who know who are, you know, standing still singing every word anymore. You you have to win over a, a room full of strangers who aren't necessarily ready to be won over. So I don't know. Um and I, I realized that you needed maybe more than just songs. You had to you had to get the crowd involved with, you know, a laugh or a story or something. So two years of that really, uh, I think, was an education in, in um, you know, just I felt like I really started over again. Uh, after, you know, being in a band for 15 years, we, we moved to New York and I felt I really started from square one and I think learned how to be a really different kind of performer. What a terrific reset to have to go through that and have to, you know, lose all your ego, or, you know, lose all your sort of, you know, all that thing that Australia had given you, which is, oh, time for cater playing. Oh, cool. Let's all go, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I felt like it was a really, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I wasn't like, oh, damn, this is hard. No, I, I loved it. Um, mm. And I and I knew, you know, I, I, I learned that. I think that was the exciting thing is that I felt like I was learning something. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the crowds were, <laughs> the crowds were teaching me the hard way, you know, because that's the other thing. I mean, you play on a, on a lineup some at some club in in New York City on a Tuesday night and there's five other people playing that you've never heard of and they're all fucking incredible <laughs> and you're you're all like oh like the standard is insane every last one of these people should be a household name hmm. and you're just like well you you really have to put your best foot forward and yeah it it just needs a little more than just songs mm -hmm. sometimes mm. i always liked going to see uh the first few times i saw the dirty three and you know warren ellis is obviously famous for talking for like 10 minutes in between songs <laughs> the best. you know i'm gonna the best. this song's about digging a hole and like not getting out of it and you just decorate the hole and you're in there and like one day you come <laughs> out and like after a while i realized it's like oh you can provide context for the for what you're doing around it and you can carry that context on through what you're saying between songs and you can elevate the atmosphere so it all connects yeah and, and it can work together as opposed to going hey we've got cities by the door and like thanks for coming and all that kind of stuff you know you can you can sort of continue that performance in a weird way in between songs sometimes with with your approach to it and I feel like that was an education for me seeing Warren go, oh, right, you're going there for the show. Mm. Like, yeah. You're not going for those two songs and then get a beer or whatever. That was really interesting to me. 
yeah, it can be a whole like you can you know the audience can walk away feeling like they've had a whole experience and that maybe it was you know it was music but maybe it was also you know yeah they laughed a lot mm. and they heard stories and you know the other thing with me is you know for 15 years I didn't want to talk about what any of my songs were about I, I mm-hmm. didn't want to you know I had this almost paranoid defensiveness about discussing the subject matter of any of our lyrics because they're all you know, deep, complex puzzles that I insist that the listener listener has to figure out all by themselves. You know, I really, I really wanted people to do that that hard work of figuring out what the what I was on about. And mm. you know, once I kind of, uh, you know, grew up a bit and got less uptight about that and started to talk about you know where some songs came from, I think that was also like the audience want to hear that stuff. Mm, mm. And and if I you know choose the way I tell the story then I'm not totally letting the cat out of the bag but I can Mm. you know tell a story in a way you let the genie out of the bottle so when you did Christina Aguilera genie in a bottle uh, (laughs) similar to that coming similar to the Taylor Swift moment with Cardigan uh, which was only a couple weeks ago which is on like a version which you know smashed it out of the ballpark and and once again gave you guys you know that extra little buzz that extra little kick along where people will now go back to your back catalogue and, and have a look at all it felt like and don't take this the wrong way it felt like almost like Paul's taking the pickle out of his ass <laughs> look at this look at this amazing covers record look how fun this guy is <laughs> or, or, Mikey how can you not take that the wrong or, way Already regret saying that. Um, no, I guess in a, in a deeper way, I think Paul, um, people came to you and came to something for Kate for discomfort food, in that they had to f- figure out this this puzzle in their own minds while singing along and while having these incredible harmonies. Yeah, I just just take us back, even just to that. What's your first thing when when I say to you, your music can be discomfort food for people? I don't think anyone listens to anything that legitimately makes them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it may bring a tear to their eye or it may Mm. bring up feelings or whatever, but, you know, they didn't go there to be taken hostage and tortured. Mm. People like to listen to music for any number of reasons and, and, you know, music that that is, you know, apparently sad or depressing or whatever, you know, that's what a lot of people want to listen to. Absolutely. You know, um, because it makes them feel less alone or whatever. So I don't think there's such a thing as, you know, um, someone choosing to listen to something that actually makes them uncomfortable. I mean, that's like, you know, using music as as torture at, at you know, uh, CIA dark facilities. In a more therapeutic way, you know what I mean? Like, instead of, you know, people love listening to Radiohead. I love listening to radio. I love listening to yeah. your music. Yeah, exactly. where, where you really get something because it's, you know, there's something absolutely substantial about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, like Phoebe Bridges, um, mm. you know, she doesn't have that many cheerful songs but i can't stop listening to her mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it's just it's beautiful and it i think bono of all people said joy is one of the hardest things to sort of um to do in music and to create in music which is something that's already always stay with me it's also really hard to go and sit down and write a song if you're in a fantastic mood mm. and you're having the time of your life because you know if you're off doing something being happy experiencing joy or whatever why would you stop doing that to pick up pen and paper? You know, so generally the the impetus to sit down and put pen to paper or pick up a guitar or something is usually because you are feeling reflective or, mm-hmm. you know, pensive about something and you want to work it through. So I think I mean it really is the majority of music. Even mm-hmm. even most pop music that we think of as being, you know, happy or cheerful or mm-hmm. upbeat or whatever. I mean, nine times out of ten the lyrics are about being broken hearted it's just because the lyric part you know the mm. the music part might be all like oh yeah this beat's awesome this melody's amazing but when it comes to actually sitting down and putting pen to paper mm. you know very rarely do people sort of go even yeah let's dance put on your red shoes and dance the blues like it's such a moment of <laughs> joie de vivre and yet you're like oh you know bowie's giving us something a lot more there yeah absolutely mm. hey dempsey Modern Medieval came out late November 2020. Is that right? Yep. Last uh, year. Yes. Yep. That's right. You've played how many shows since then? I think it's three. Gosh. Oof. Sick burn. You, you guys obviously were trying to, you know, plan ahead by announcing the recent run of shows, which just yesterday or the day before, you know, got cancelled essentially or rain checked. 
Yeah. Especially for a, such a workhorse band like you guys who love playing and, you know, famously play two-hour shows and, and whatnot. That must be... It must be a difficult time to not be able to celebrate that record. Uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's not how we would have liked it, but, um, you know, we, we all have uh, a very good perspective on things. And, you know, we're, we're going to do the shows. We will get to do those shows. It'll just be next year. We'll have to wait a little longer. And, you know, that's annoying. It, uh, like, it's annoying. It's not... We're not running for our lives. So it's, you know, the, the, the shows will happen and they will be worth the wait. It's going to be mm. fucking unreal. Mm. Um, we just just have to wait. It's interesting looking at the States at the moment because obviously a couple of months ago they were announcing a lot of shows, festivals. I think Lollapalooza happened. Um, yeah. Bonnaroo was supposed to happen this weekend, but it's just been cancelled because of storms or, or whatnot. But the point being that there seems to be a tide turning, I guess, with Delta where a lot of people are going, oh, shit, actually our indoor show needs to be outdoors or we need to yeah. cancel cancel a few extras or whatever. And it it's hard not to feel... There was, a, I suppose there was a moment of elation where it's like proof that you can get through this, proof that shows are just around the corner and it's, it's kind of put the brakes on that a little bit, especially when you need to book tours months in advance and a year in advance, all that sort of stuff. Do you look at the time stretching out and go, all right, I'm just going to write a bunch of songs. Like we're going to work on something new. Do you go, I'm going to learn how to, to make wine because the booze industry is going quite well with home deliveries. <laughs> um, do you write that novel? Like how do you, how do you figure out that framework of as a, as a full-time musician of what that might be for you? Uh, well, yeah. Um, as of about a month ago, you know, when we were sort of officially, you know, when it became apparent that this wasn't going to end anytime soon uh, and, you know, that we were going to be postponing this tour and stuff, uh, I just started writing, uh, which, you know, had been on the agenda anyway. But last year I didn't do much writing at all because we already had an album in the can that was going to come out. And, and so the hope was, you know, that'll come out and by then we'll get to go on tour. So I wasn't doing any writing and I was just focusing on, you know, family stuff and, and you know, supporting the kids through homeschool and, and stuff like that. Um, it's different this time because, yeah, the album's been out a while, the shows aren't going to happen for a little while longer and, yeah, so if I don't start having some sort of creative outlet amongst all the homeschooling and all the other stuff, then mm -hmm. I'm going to lose my mind. So, <laughs> you know, I, I've just, um, you know, I, I just divided up the day differently now. So, you know, I, I do stuff with the kids till like early afternoon mm -hmm. and then I I just get down to writing and then, you know, we do, we, we make dinner and stuff and then after that uh, I, I work again late at night um, and it's good. I feel good. I'm getting stuff done. I'm... Uh, you know, I'm being creative and uh, so I feel, you know, I feel like a musician. I, I guess I was getting to the point where I was starting to worry that I didn't know what my purpose was anymore. Um, but, you know, that's that's in my hands and I just sort of grabbed it back. Um, so I feel like a musician again. I'm, I'm working, I'm making stuff. Have you ever sort of like gone into Miller's Zoom and said, um, guys, it's Friday afternoon, anyone want a concert? <laughs> Uh, no, I have not, uh, but um, I've helped him come up with a couple of musical performances. So, Ooh. yeah. Is there good. a flair there? Is, is there a, what's your, yeah, 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 yeah. No, the kids, the kids love music. It's, uh, it's good. Very cool. Thank you so much for joining us today, Paul. Thank you also, Marcus. Oh, yeah. That was Paul Dempsey, our very, very special co-host today. Thanks so much for the access there to Paul and all of Paul's thoughts. Also, the bonus episode is going to drop next Thursday, this Thursday. It's next Thursday. What day is it? What lockdown are we in? <laughs> Who are you? You my dad. Friends, thanks so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate your time. And I tell you what, all these little chats we have along the way, even you listening to my silly voice in your ears right now, that's what's getting us through, I think, at the moment, just talking and that connection. So please keep checking in on your mates. Keep being gentle. Uh, yeah, keep spreading the love and not COVID. Okay, love you. Get vaccinated. Get vaxxed. And then we get back to gigs. Oh, I saw this meme today. It was like, <laughs> I'm going to quickly look it up for you. 
It's a, a female with a t-shirt that says, Vaxed, waxed, and ready to climax. Okay. Maybe it's funny, maybe it's not, maybe it's a bit tacky. I don't care, because it made you laugh a little bit. And any fucking victory we can have, small, big, whatever, at the moment, just go with it. Take it on board, right off into the sunset. Big love from here, different team. See ya.